Griner Talks about sustainability and transformation. A Griner podcast episode. How to change, how to create a sustainable future. That's what we are discussing here. My name is Alexander. I'm part of the sustainability team at Greiner. And today I'm speaking to the CEO of Berlin-based company Plan A. She's a climate action leader who's using IT and tech to make the world a better place. She's the co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance and she's influencing an entire generation of sustainability managers and decision makers on LinkedIn. Welcome, Lubomila Czadonova. Thanks, Alexander, for having me. <laughs> Lubomila, we've met the last time at the European Forum Alpbach in Austria, but when I look at your LinkedIn, you seem to be everywhere. How do you keep up with all these travels and where are you right now? Today you find me in Paris where I came to visit my team and also a few clients. Normally I am quite often on the road because I speak at a lot of events and also we have quite of an international distribution of the team, people in all different countries in Europe. I keep up by making sure that I'm always in a positive mindset. I'm also keeping myself healthy and uh, also with a good mental fit, uh, which obviously takes some meditation in uh, sports. <laughs> so you're not doing all of this for fun. What drives you to keep traveling and to keep talking about sustainability 24-7? I think once you find your purpose, it's really difficult to disengage and to find a way out. It's not a nine to five job. It really is a mission. And in 2016, this opportunity came my way. It wasn't easy to get into the topic because I had to gather a lot of scientific knowledge, but it felt so rewarding at the end. Once I had this view of the larger scale issues and the connectedness between them to then gain confidence to build my own company. Since then, I have continued to feel a level of responsibility. Once you know, you cannot unknow. We'll speak about your mission and about Plan A a little later on. But first, I'd like to know, we're at the beginning of 2023, an exciting year, also in terms of climate action. And I'd like to know from you, what can we expect from this year? What are the big trends in terms of climate action? This year will be a fundamental one for the climate action, for the sustainability, for the ESG sphere, for a few reasons. First of all, a lot of legislation is kicking off. We have frameworks like the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that will come in place in June. We have new versions of existing frameworks like U-Taxonomy, TCFD, also expansion of frameworks like the PCAF reporting uh, framework, which is for financial institutions. Second big topic will be the new entrance into the discussion, such as waste, biodiversity, plastics. Historically, we've always been speaking about carbon, about the general impact of a business. Now we're starting to expand outside of the KPI CO2, and we're moving into different topics that also are part of the potentially negative repercussions that a business has on the planet A final key important topic is uh, certainly the collaboration between stakeholders who will see a lot more suppliers speaking to their partners, uh, a lot of investment firms speaking to their portfolio companies because the net zero journey is a communal one. 
You've mentioned a lot of expert terms. Uh, you've been mentioning EU taxonomy and directives and regulations coming up. But how could you explain all of these terms and trends to somebody who doesn't know much about uh, legislation and, and scientific terms here? What's to expect from 2023? I'm sure that all the audiences of uh, this podcast uh, understand the economic terms such as GDP, the fact that we continue talking in media about growth. And ultimately, with the terms that I was using, we're now establishing a new system that would allow for us to assess the true value of our economy. Historically, we've always looked at the economy from a financial perspective, but without calculating the costs associated to exhausting the environment and also having certain impacts as businesses and as individuals on our ecosystem. Now, with the new legislation by the EU and also other geographies, there's a lot more detail of what are our impacts on our planet and how does this impact also the economy. So are we finally starting to give nature the value that it deserves? I would not feel confident to say this yet <laughs> because we just kicked off the discussions in some of the larger events like COP15, the Gathering for Biodiversity, COP27, the more general climate change gathering. We are definitely a lot more clear that there is value in nature and we need to account for it if we want to understand how to prepare for the future. And you have mentioned COP. We have both attended COP27 in Egypt. Now at the end of this year, it's COP28 coming up, the UN Climate Change Conference, this time taking place in Dubai. What's your outlook? What do you expect? As every single COP, the topics that will be discussed uh, will be defined by the local context. We saw in Egypt how uh, there was a lot of discussion about funding for Africa. It was really fundamental that the loss and damage funding was confirmed. We also saw a lot of discussion about energy security, given the context of the Ukrainian war. For the next version of COP, I would assume that the UAE perspective will be deeply embedded into the discussions related to energy, related to also how is Middle East uh, involved in all the transatlantic and just generally global uh, engagements related to sustainability. I cannot yet confirm what should be the anticipation of positive or negative outcomes because it's a bit too early. At least I know that we still have to talk to each other if we want to create a better world. And we also have to learn from each other. I'd like to know from you, how do we really manage to tackle the climate crisis together, to collaborate, to work on it together? The concept of accounting for emissions is a good metaphor for collaboration. If you look into the emissions associated to a company, This is its facilities, its vehicles, the employee consumption, the employee travel. Also, it is its suppliers, its logistics partners. If you're also an investment firm, also your investments. What this is to demonstrate is that there's a lot of stakeholders involved in the creation of emissions and negative impact of a business. So is also this collaborative process to be navigated 
we need to all find the elements which we can influence in our day-to-day as businesses that contribute to someone else's negative impact and then start tackling them. Um, there's no need for everyone to be an expert in everything. You just need to tackle the elements that you can be in charge of and you can handle. And that is actually quite straightforward because we all have a, a very good understanding of what we do on a daily basis. If you just add the environmental impact layer, then you understand also what you need to take action on. Lubomila, there's one thing that's seriously bugging me about climate action, and that is all the competing interests that are out there. I mean, you have oil companies who want to stick to their old business models as long as possible. You have environmentalists who are rightfully demanding climate justice. Then there is countries that are facing war and destruction without even having a chance to think of climate issues. How do we overcome all these competing interests? Historically, we've built a perception that competition is the only way for success to be achieved. And that is something that at the moment we're trying to unlearn. We have been creating the negative impact on the planet by actually eating out more resources without necessarily seeing if the consumption of these resources will be best utilized. I think the reality that we face today when it comes to climate change, unfortunately, it's starting to show us that there's no way out of this crisis if we don't collaborate. And how this is demonstrated is that a lot of companies that are within the same industry, even though they fight for the same clients, let's say, starting to collaborate in consortiums and initiatives and a lot of those to learn from one another, to be more effective with our resources. I think it's not going to go out without a fight, but it is the idea that with the severity of the climate crisis, the only way forward will be uh, partnering. And some people might battle against this, but uh, this will be the only way forward. That's an experience that I can actually share working in the sustainability department of a large company. I can feel even speaking to other sustainability managers in other companies, it's not a competition. It's like you want to achieve the same goal. And I think that's a very nice experience to have. Absolutely. And you should definitely advocate even further for this. We see it with our thousands of clients that there's a necessity to learn as fast as possible. And what better way to learn than from those that have already implemented similar projects like the ones you have planned. Lubomila, at the European Forum Alpbach, you said in your keynote speech, every single job of the future will be a climate job. What do you mean by that? Climate change is infiltrating its negative impacts on every single level of our existence, be it because the infrastructure that you're reliant on, like your house or your office, is being heavily impacted, like in some places in the world at the moment, be it because your job is shifting in focus, because now you need to understand some sustainability elements to it in order to see if you're doing a good or a bad job to the environment. If you go down the line of further examples, you can see how just the energy shift and the fact that we're looking into renewables significantly more, especially in the last two years, is creating also a lot of new opportunities. All of our to-dos on a professional level are connected to climate change. doesn't matter if you're a banker, you would be focused on the transitional financing in one way or another. If you're working in plastics, you would be working into finding alternatives that are not harmful to the planet. If you're working in tech like me, you might be building solutions for the climate crisis. 
inevitably the problem is becoming so big and so overwhelming that we wouldn't have a choice but to really find an angle uh, to connect to climate. So it's all connected in the end. It is indeed, yeah. And it is painful, but a good exercise for us to find a way to collaborate better because we would be aligned to the same vision and mission, which is tackling a complex set of issues that we've created over the last few decades. And speaking of climate jobs, that's something you provided your company Plan A. Can you explain what's the mission of Plan A? What are you doing there? Of course, we have a software as a service platform that helps corporates decarbonize. How do we do that against the targets that a business might have set for themselves or the ones that we help them set? They get a to-do list and this to-do list is really practical uh, examples of activities that they need to implement so that they tangibly start ticking off the milestones related to their net zero journey. We also support businesses with automation of ESG reporting according to all these standards that I mentioned in the beginning, such as the EU taxonomy, such as the corporate sustainability reporting directive. And there's a lot of standards. It's sometimes quite difficult to navigate through them. So we do that alongside also net zero journey planning. So You're helping to solve the climate crisis using data and tech, if I understand correctly? Absolutely, yeah. Technology and data are key to addressing climate change. As mentioned multiple times in this discussion, we don't have time. And with this in mind, we need to find ways in which we optimize our pathway to decarbonize the economy as fast as possible. We've advanced so much on the technological field. We're able to process millions of data points, even more. And with this, we can get a lot of insight on what exact measures should be taken based on what the data shows. Uh, we utilize this kind of technology. We utilize the science behind that to then give a clear pathway of decarbonizing. Lubomila, I have studied sustainable development some years ago at university. And whenever we discussed uh, technological solutions to climate change, it seemed to be the worst option because nobody can really rely on it. We don't know, will it really work out the way we anticipate? But that's some years ago. Has the situation changed? Will technology help us to save the climate? Is it even necessary? I always say that technology is only useful if it actually is implemented at scale. Uh, we have come up with a lot of fantastic innovations and solutions. We also have come up with a lot of research that can show us what kind of solutions can be implemented or scaled. But the truth is, is that none of these ideas or concepts or prototypes really matter if they're not used for the maximum impact that they can deliver. I am a technologist, but with the caveat that there's a necessity to have a human element to it. We, at the end of the day, um, need to understand the technology, we need to scale it, but also we need to align on a psychological level that we want to go together on this net zero journey as a society, as an economy. Until we don't come up with this vision and we don't align as stakeholders, no technology really matters. And speaking of the tech industry, there's another topic that I would like to touch upon, and that is about gender equality. So women are still underrepresented in the tech industry. What's your message to women who want to take on a climate tech job, for example? Many times I have been asked, what does it feel to be a female entrepreneur? And I always correct people and say, I am an entrepreneur. I'm not a female entrepreneur. 
There's a historical residue of a perception that you need to label people according to their gender for the marginalized minorities like female founders or female entrepreneurs or female tech workers. And this stigma, in my view, needs to be eliminated. So for those listening, looking for a job or starting their own company and are female, first and foremost, consider yourself an entrepreneur, a tech worker, not a female tech worker, because that removes the first layer of barriers which are within you. The second step is really to find uh, and ask questions uh, within the companies that you have found interesting about how they tackle diversity issues. If they don't have any schemes, if they don't have any programs, because this is a systemic issue for many companies, most likely they don't take the problem seriously. You can also ask about statistics, and usually this also is a good signifier of the status quo. Finally, it is about connecting to topics and companies that maybe are willing to learn. And maybe the company that you found super interesting doesn't have a lot of know-how in the topic, but they're willing to give you the space for you to create this initiative. If you want to be the change maker that changes the status quo, that is also an opportunity to tackle. Out of curiosity, I'd like to know what is the share of women at Plan A? We are actually uh, at close to 40, uh, 60. So we have been spending quite some time on diversifying, especially our tech team, which isn't the usual. We have, for example, more product managers that are women than men, similarly in other departments, but probably the tech is the most problematic one because that's where the least amount of women apply and also usually gain uh, kind of the training or gain interest even in involving with companies like ours. But it has been a topic that has been really openly discussed and as a founder that has personally experienced by being a tech worker in a another company before and now also being a founder, I do understand how important it is to have a diverse workforce because this really gives valuable selection of perspectives that maybe are not so uh, familiar to everyone. And that diversifies also the outcomes that you should expect your company to achieve. So anyone looking for a job should definitely check out Plan A. Absolutely, yeah. Either on my LinkedIn or send an email to join the team at planA.earth. And here's a question that one of your colleagues actually wanted me to ask you. And that is, what do you want to become when you grow up, Lubomila? <laughs> I'm still having a battle with myself uh, to understand uh, at what stage of my adolescence or teenage years I am, because <laughs> uh, I vary between uh, different life moments, I would say, on a, a monthly basis. I am... Proud of what I've been able to achieve because I see the impact that we have with companies, with our team members. Uh, I also am incredibly proud because of all the people that connect, uh, be it on LinkedIn or in at events at which I speak uh, and how they reconfirm that their belief has been enhanced and they want to tackle the climate crisis and they believe in themselves by listening to me or by connecting with me. I hope I continue being on this trajectory and continue being happy. I don't have a bigger wish than just seeing planning scale and scaling the impact that we have. And hopefully by the end of my lifetime, see uh, climate change be diminished, uh, obviously not eliminated, but at least diminished in negative impacts. 
We are slowly coming to an end of this interview, but before I let you go, I'd like to invite you to do a short word wrap. Is that fine for you? Okay. <laughs> so I will give you one word, one term, and you can reply with whatever comes to your mind. That can be just one word, a short sentence or a short story even. So the first one is data. Planning. Collaboration. The Green Tech Alliance, a community of more than 3,000 businesses addressing different challenges related to climate change. Airplanes. A useful tool that needs to become more sustainable. COP28. Hope and hopefully no drama. <laughs> plan B. No plan B. Your favorite dish. I like smoothies. They're nutritious, they're liquid, they're kind of food. So I would call it a dish in Italy in the morning. So yeah. I'll get one after this interview. <laughs> nice. Lucky you. <laughs> Your favorite animal. Lemurs. The best animal. They only exist in Madagascar and they're absolutely crazy. And last but not least, your message to the world. Keep on going. We don't have a choice but to continue believing that it will be fixed. Thank you so much for taking your time, Lubomila. Thanks, Alexander, for having me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Lubomila's newsletter on LinkedIn called The Climate of Business. Subscribe to Greiner Talks and have a nice day. Greiner Talks, a Greiner podcast. Subscribe now. <laughs>